After Dark on 1010XL. After dark into the night with Rick Ballou, and I tell you what, I am feeling a tremendous amount of energy oozing through the headset here at high noon. Typically, I'm just starting my second cup of coffee. Usually, roll out around 11, 11:30. So, repeat after me: rise and shine. Let's get after it. Let's tackle the day. Just after high noon, I am Rick Ballou. The show is produced by R.J. Saunders. Hacker Nation is back. Day two. How you feeling? I'm good. I'm good. You know, coming coming out during the uh, daytime it was a little odd to you and I, I think. Uh, you're six to eight. I'm eight to ten normally, but happy to be here to close mm. out the new year. And uh, look, now all eyes turn to the Carolina Panthers. The oh, my two goodness. And 13 Carolina Panthers who come to Jacksonville for Fan Appreciation Day on Sunday. I'm talking Tom Coughlin. I'm talking Dom Capers. Yeah. Have we ever confirmed, is it a uh, squirrel, a raccoon, uh, I don't know, a New York City rat, uh, a New York City subway rat that has been permanently placed on the head of Dom Capers? Do we know? <laughs> I, I don't know, but that I hear is what the you're worst, saying. You, that may be the worst toupee. In the history of two, why do people go with two pays? Is it? It's never to be inadequate to other dudes, right? It's got to be to pick up checks. <laughs> I mean, is there any other reason why you would ever have a two pay? No, I can't think of one. I shave my head, so hopefully, I'll never have that problem. And you're but... happily married with a gorgeous wife and a, and a sweet little kid. But I'm just talking about in general. If you're going the route of a toupee. Yeah, there are some great toupees, though, and certainly Dom Capers would probably register that. Yeah, 1995, Carolina came into the league the same year Jacksonville did. Back then, you had different rules as far as the expansion draft and obviously free agency. And what happened a year later, 1996, both the Jaguars and the Panthers would go to the AFC and NFC championship game, respectively. Here we are now, 25, 26 years later. I guess 27 years later, and, uh, well, Carolina's where Jacksonville was a couple of years ago. The Jaguars won the AFC South. They're trying to do the same thing, and the question is, can they win a home ball game? They're only 2-5 and five here at the bank. 2-5 and five here at Everbank Stadium. Three of those five losses have been bad losses, blowout fashion, Houston, San Francisco, and Baltimore. We talk about Fan Appreciation Day. Well, the Jaguars – need to appreciate their fans and give them a victory this Sunday because it has been a lot of disappointment leaving Everbank Stadium. And as far as Carolina goes, look, the worst team in football, 2-13 and 13 on the year, yet they are playing better. They knocked off Atlanta two weeks ago. They put 30 on Green Bay in a losing effort. We're going to go to Charlotte in about an hour. Mike Kay, Charlotte Observer, formerly First Coast News here in Jacksonville, to talk about Carolina and look, they got to be having all sorts of questions up there about Bryce Young. What you see, what C.J. Stroud is doing, Anthony Richardson before he got hurt, even Will Levis. Bryce Young certainly coming under a lot of scrutiny, and it's going to be Bryce Young maybe versus Trevor Lawrence, a battle of number one picks on Sunday. Yeah, and you mentioned C.J. Stroud. Apparently he's uh, going to practice today, trying to get himself fully removed out of the concussion protocol, similar to a week ago here with Trevor Lawrence. And if 
that is the case, certainly that'll help things out a great deal for Houston. We'll take a look at the really the playoff run here. As you know, only two games do remain. Uh, Las Vegas played some really good football uh, this past week, as we did see against the Raiders. They go to Indianapolis. And then you talk about the Houston Texans. Yes, a divisional matchup. They wrap up that way with two straight AFC South opponents. This Sunday, they will host Tennessee. Then, of course, next week, they get that matchup against Indianapolis. It really doesn't matter as long as Jacksonville takes care of their own. They got to win this Sunday against Carolina, then turn around and go to Nashville next Sunday and win that football game. Something to think about. The NFL put clinching scenarios out for this Sunday, and you're right. If Jacksonville beats Carolina, and if Indy and Houston both lose, Jacksonville wins the AFC South on Sunday. But think about this for a moment. If Jacksonville's skid continues and Carolina comes in here and wins and both Houston and Indy win on Sunday, Jacksonville would effectively be eliminated from winning the AFC South. I just can't make a case for Carolina. And I I know that we're all wondering about the AC joint and and whether or not Trevor Lawrence is going to play. And I'm starting to see Rappaport and some others kind of the down slope. Well, they did the same thing last week with the concussion. I mean, I, I'm convinced that until I actually do see it, Trevor Lawrence is going to go out there and play. He's gone through a knee. He's gone through an ankle, which I thought was the worst of the four. Obviously, I cannot speak on a concussion and how significant that was. But last week at this time, that was in doubt. Even Thursday, when I got off the air, it was like seven or eight minutes after the, the show had ended for me and Rappaport came out. Uh, with that tweet stating that if you don't practice Wednesday and Thursday in the NFL, chances are you're not going to play on that coming Sunday. And, of course, Lawrence did go out and play anyway. So, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that this is a tough guy, and, and he's going to play this football game against Carolina. But the problem lies with the turnovers, okay? And the problem lies with just how awful they have been on third down and the fact they can't run the ball. Hacker, they have 19 points scored in the last two games. Yeah, it's been awful. They haven't run the ball. They haven't tried to run the ball. They gave ETN six carries out of the backfield last week. Here's my thing with Trevor Lawrence, and you and I spoke about this a little bit yesterday as well. It's one thing to be tough, and Trevor has proven he's tough. I'm almost tired of having that conversation because what good is it if you're tough if you go out there and the offense doesn't do anything? The talk last week was concussion this, concussion that, protocol. They go out there, you snap your fingers, and it's 30 nothing Tampa Bay. You know, whether you're tough or not, that's fine and well, and that's a nice backstory. They need to find a way on Sunday to have more points in Carolina. And whether that's with an AC joint issue with Trevor Lawrence or a healthy C.J. Beathard, or maybe they want to go get Todd Bauman in off the tractor. I don't Mm. care what they do. They need to find a way to have more points in Carolina and in this four-game streak because, again, the worst team in football is coming into your house on Sunday and I have no confidence right now that Jacksonville is going to win the game. Yeah, I, I mean, it's noble when you go out there and you play every week, but I also think you have to look at it this way. And I know I'm in the minority, and I'm going to say it anyway. I've been saying it for decades. I thought Cal Ripken was selfish when he had the consecutive game streak. There were certain nights at the ball yard that Cal Ripken showed up, and you knew he was going to go 0-4, for four, and you knew he was going to give you nothing. But selfishly, he had that streak going, and people looked at it and said, my goodness, look at this man. He is the iron horse. He shows up. He plays every day. I think COVID taught us a lot, okay? In 30-plus years, I bet I've taken five days off in my life that were truly sick days. 
And then we learned, well, don't be an idiot here. If you're sick and you have COVID, don't bring it into the office. Don't get everyone out sick, okay? You're not that good. Take a day off, okay? And the same thing can be applied now, whether it's Trevor Lawrence or anyone else. Brandon Sheriff's a guy I would look at who's not even on the injury report, who in my eyes has clearly been hurt. I mean, it feels like every possession, it takes him an extra 7, 8, 10 seconds to get up off the ground I, it's remarkable as to how tough he is, and he played through the core injury a year ago. But I do think there are times when if you're far less than 100%, giving the effort is one thing. But you have to ask yourself, in the manner you are in, are you hurting the club more than you are helping the club? That's one thing the Jaguars are going to have to answer this week. And keep in mind, too, a knee is one thing, an ankle is one thing, a concussion and the protocol is one thing. He's a quarterback, and this is a shoulder, all right? This is much different than the other ones. Can you move around? Can you physically protect yourself? That was the issue with the ankle and the knee. Can you pass the NFL-sanctioned concussion protocol? This is about throwing the football as a quarterback. And if your shoulder with a sprain, we don't know if he's going to practice today or not, Doug Peterson. Um, We'll see what happens here in the coming uh, hours once they get on the field. But this is about throwing the ball. Can you functionally throw the ball as an NFL quarterback, which is certainly one of the bigger issues we've had with Trevor and these injury concerns this year. One quick thought on Carolina coming in. Bryce Young probably had his best game as a pro last week. Threw for 312 yards, a couple of touchdowns, no interceptions. Look, I'm not trying to put lipstick on a mule. It has not been a good year for Bryce Young, nor it has been a good year for the Carolina Panthers. But this is a Carolina team that's playing hard, for their interim coach, they're playing a wounded Jacksonville team. And I, I just I want to pump the brakes on people thinking this is going to be an easy game on Sunday because I think the Jaguars have proven over the last month that anything is going to be far from easy for them. Yeah, I you know, I, I, I tend to agree with that, but I, I'm going to stay with it. I got nothing to lose, okay? I think they win this game. I think they win it handily over the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. They're a six-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is very low. It's among the lowest we've seen. Uh, this year in the NFL, down to 37 uh, in some uh, in some circles. You, you know, it's fascinating that we analyze it and fans love to talk about it. We get so not confused, but we want to know who calls the plays, who says what, how much is Press Taylor, how much is Doug Peterson, Billy Napier have any help at Florida, who's calling the plays at Florida State, is Alex, Alex Atkins involved uh, with Mike Norvell's play call? So much of that is a major talking point, and certainly that applies right now when we discuss Press Taylor. What I don't think we give enough credence to is the calls that have changed in-game at the line of scrimmage, and that is the comfort level you have in your your quarterback, the autonomy of of a man like Trevor Lawrence. Is he allowed to change the play each and every down? Our understanding is, yes, if Trevor sees something, call it. Doug Peterson talked about it this week. Both interceptions in the first half, play calls were changed at the line of scrimmage. Now, routes weren't run the right way or there was miscommunication or whatever it may be, you're not on the same page. And this is week 16 in the NFL. That can't happen in college football. It's happening now in the NFL. So I almost feel as though this may be one of the biggest stories ongoing with the Jaguars Trevor Lawrence, is he making the right decisions at the line of scrimmage? And is the rest of the team around him aware 
of the change that he has made at the line of scrimmage. And it's almost a constant. When that call comes in, I mean, how many times on Sunday when the game was still in question did you hear Trevor go kill, kill, kill and do an audible at the line? And like you said, the two interceptions were apparently a result of wide receivers not hearing or not seeing the signal that Trevor was giving them at the line. So I would go with the play that's called with this offense, which includes an undrafted rookie in Elijah Cooks, a sixth-round rookie in Parker Washington. It's one thing to change the play at the line with Kirk and Zay and Ridley and experienced guys out there. You got a lot of young guys out there which aren't getting the signals, which apparently was part of the problem last week. Click, uh, Rick, Cam Robinson's 21-day window was indeed opened today, as Doug Peterson mentioned yesterday. Maybe he'll be back in the lineup on Sunday. And does Matt Barkley do anything for you? That kind of caught me off guard, I guess. The Jaguars go out and sign the former Southern Cal quarterback, Matt Barkley, um, off the Giants practice squad late last evening. No, it does nothing for me at all. Uh, a 2013 draft pick, I believe this is either his 10th or 11th team. It is crazy, yeah. In, in the NFL, which to me says he's got to be a good guy and a good teammate. Because you can look at it two ways. You can say, oh, my God, he goes from stop to stop to stop to stop. No one wants him. Okay, yeah, but he's a backup quarterback. He keeps finding jobs. Obviously, his reputation is he works well with the starting quarterback. He works well with the team, and that's why they brought him in. Yeah, that, that may be the one underlying factor with all of the injuries that we have seen with Trevor Lawrence, the fact that they did clearly bring in a veteran this week to, be, to obviously be there with C.J. Beathard. Uh, could be telling. All right, opening comments today and each and every day brought to you by the good folks over at Schmirnaz Vision. They're a family organization. They focus on personal, high-quality medical and surgical eye care. It's all about the family, and it's all about the trust. Listen, um, I can't say enough about Schmirnaz, all right? Eight and a half years ago, they found something in my eye that had to be removed immediately, okay? Surgically, Dr. Neil Schmirnaz got it out of there. There's never been any setbacks. Every time I go just for a normal checkup, an eye examination, um, it's perfect. And, and that's what you need. There are so many problems that you could have. Ask yourself, eyes in the, early in the morning compared to eyes when you get home at night. All right, fatigue sets in. Old age comes to us all. Uh, cataract issues, uh, maybe blurriness you are, or, or dizziness, uh, headaches, whatever it may be. It could be your eyes. There's so many different ways to look at it. I just want you to check out their website because it's fantastic. Go to schmunezvision.com. That's schmunezvision.com. They are your one stop for anything that is your eyes, from your grandparents to your grandkids. Check out the good folks at schmunezvision.com. All right, we got plenty to do here over the next three hours. As Hacker said, we'll go to Carolina in hour number two. We'll also check in with former Jaguar Cecil Shorts in our second hour. Right now, the best opportunity for you to join us is to get us on the text line. That is 641-1010, brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. A ton to do today on the Jaguars. Also want to talk some college football. These big games are sneaking up on us. Coming up on Monday, not to mention the Canes actually play tomorrow. Florida State, Georgia on Saturday. So some college football coming up as well. I'm not sure if this made the iPod, Rick, for myself, although I like it. 
It's off nice my Walkman. I handed it to RJ. I was like, man, let's go. Yeah, I like that. The who is this, shuffle. RJ? You know who it is, Rick. It's the oh, stroll. it's Outcast. Nice. Yeah, I should have known. Okay. It's early for me, RJ. Boys normally sleep, sleep still. Still. Right now, I got a blonde under one arm and a brunette on the other because I'm Zian. You dog. Man, I was, I was like, it was like 4 a.m. and I was still reading and I was like, come on, Baloo, can't you just adjust? Can't you make changes for the betterment of 1010XL? And I'm like, no, I can't. I I have, have insomnia. You know what the cure is for insomnia, by the way? What's that? Put on my show six to eight at night. <laughs> There's more accidents at that hour than any time in Jacksonville because people are falling asleep driving off the road. That's typically when I'm with you. Then you come on at 8. Yeah, we're the evening crew, 6 to 8 for Baloo, 8 to 10, Hacker after dark. We're with you noon to 3 the rest of the week. In fact, the rest of the year here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. And the interesting thing about this Sunday, as we talked about earlier, you know, there's so many clinching scenarios around the league, playoff possibilities. The Jaguars could win the AFC South on Sunday. Yeah, the Jaguars could also be eliminated from winning the AFC South That's on amazing. Sunday. It is because if both Indy and Houston win, they face one another a week from Sunday. So obviously, the winner of that game uh, would get it uh, eliminated completely. No chance of winning a wild card. No, the wild card would still be in okay. play, but the division championship would be gone yeah. if Jacksonville loses to Carolina and both Indy and Houston win. Would I get slapped around if I said? That may be better. They play much better away from Jacksonville. The problem is with the wild Crowd's card. Crowd's too loud on defense. Yeah. They're not going to catch Cleveland, so one of the wild card spots is gone. I don't think they're going to – I mean, Buffalo, they have the tiebreaker over Buffalo. Yeah. but I'm just saying hypothetically. Yeah. Because no. they can't they – don't, they don't play well here. They don't. That's proven. I mean, they did last year. They kind of silenced that. I think they were – were they five and two? They had more road games, and I'm not talking about any of that that London stuff. I, I think they were five and two in true home games here last year. They lost to Houston here last year. I'd have to go back. I'm yeah, trying I'm to go black back out. right now. Yeah, and look, but you know, this year two and five, and I think they solve it tomorrow or, or Sunday. I think they get to the three and five, but it's um, it's very rare to have a playoff team not be successful at home. And you look at the Dallas Cowboys. I think they've had nine or ten straight 30-plus efforts at Jerry's World. They can't win on the road. Mm-hmm. Typically, that's the problems that you do have with, with playoff teams. I mean, look at Buffalo and how, how well they played the last couple of years. They, they lose road games. They lost here that 10-3 effort. They lose in Kansas City one reason or another. Losing on the road is kind of expected in the NFL. Losing at home when you're a playoff team? Is not, And I think you have to look at the AFC standings, and the reality of the situation is if Jacksonville wins the division, as most of us still anticipate happening, although it's gotten very, very clunky in the last couple of weeks, odds are it's going to be Cleveland in round one. Cleveland's going to be the highest-seeded wildcard team. In fact, Cleveland can clinch a playoff spot tomorrow night against New York. And in fact, Cleveland is still alive in the AFC North. If they win out and Baltimore loses out, Cleveland would win the division. So that's still in play. But I think if you focus on being the four, which is what the hope is here in Jacksonville, odds are it's a rematch against Joe Flacco and the Cleveland Browns here at Everbank Stadium. And I got to tell you, man, I I think Jacksonville can beat Cleveland. 
but that is not a team I would be excited about playing. No, and I think there's a lot of folks who would honestly right now say straight up they would take Joe Flacco over Trevor Lawrence when you are getting ready to play a football game in the month of January. It's crazy to say, but I think there's a lot of people right now, it, it almost feels like Joe Flacco, um, it's all gravy. There's no pressure. They got him off the couch, and he's spinning it. If all of a sudden he comes to life as a, what, a 38, 39-year-old, and you know he falls apart and goes out and has a really bad game, I, I, I think the feeling's going to be, okay, Deshaun Watson was out. You got what you wanted out of this guy and Joe Flacco. Thanks for the effort. Let's carry on to 2024. But this is also a guy that could put his foot in the ground and just light it up. I mean, Amari Cooper said, I'm, you can't cover me. 250 yards receiving last week in that victory. For against him. Derek Stingley, against Houston's guy in their secondary. They couldn't stop him. So, no, you're exactly right. Now, if you look at the AFC in totality, how many AFC teams can you close your eyes and envision winning the Lamar Hunt Trophy and representing the AFC in the Super Bowl? Because for so many years, Rick, it was Brady and the Patriots, right, or Manning and the Colts, or Big Ben and the Steelers, or Mahomes and the Chiefs. You had the dominant team that was the overwhelming favorite going into the playoffs. Is Baltimore an overwhelming favorite this year? Because I look at Baltimore, I look at Miami, I look at Buffalo if they get in. Kansas City is going to be a tough out, even though they're playing poorly now. We talk about Cleveland. I mean, there's four, five, maybe six teams that you could realistically see winning the yeah. AFC. I don't know if Jacksonville's on that list, however. As a non-better, it's a good thing. I wouldn't bet on any of those teams. I, I, if I'm betting on any team to win right now, it'd be San Francisco. And we just saw what happened to them. They just got clobbered. Mm -hmm. Okay, Brock Purdy came back down to life. He was absolutely terrible in this game. And, and here I am saying forever, and I've been saying it forever, with the exception of an Elvis Gerback and a Nick Foles and, you know, a couple of other of these quarterbacks. You can go back to Oral Morrill and, what, Super Bowl uh, 1972, I guess it was, 70-72, uh, when Greasy couldn't go. The Dolphins won those two. Great quarterbacks win Super Bowls. Brock Purdy, there's a lot of misunderstanding there. Is he a great quarterback? Where is he? I mean, before the game, he was considered – on that short list as far uh, as MVPs around the league. But if I was to say you can take 10 quarterbacks, I wonder how many people out there are going to say, yeah, give me Brock Purdy. Still, he would be my pick. Um, you know, a, a few weeks ago, I was really making a claim for Denver. Now there's a report out that Russell Wilson's getting benched. Okay, they're going to go to Jarrett Stidham uh, this weekend. Baltimore, sure, but... You know, do, if push comes to shove, do they have enough if they are trailing with that passing offense? We know if they set the tone and they run the football and they put outstanding defense, they're a tough out. But what if they're down? What if they're trailing? Um, I, I still think Kansas City is probably the team to beat. But all of a sudden, man, that looks like an old football team. And kind of a helter-skelter wide receiver core where there's very little trust in those skill guys. They're going to get one home game because they're going to win that division, but they've commonly referred to the AFC playoffs as the Arrowhead Invitational. Mahomes has never had to go on the road in the playoffs. And that's huge. Think about that for I a know. second. That is insanity. I that, heard that on, during the broadcast uh, Monday. Right, that Mahomes like, has never gone on the road in the playoffs, and he's going to have to. He's going to have to go to either Baltimore or he's going to go to ha either Miami, and that is assuming – they get out of wild card weekend 
because it's not far-fetched to believe that they could face Buffalo in wildcard weekend as the six versus the three, and who knows what would happen in that scenario. Yeah, it's um, th- this is what the league wants, okay? And, you know, you made a good point. I think there's only, what, five starting quarterbacks? Oh, now Flacco's back. I think there's five or six starting quarterbacks in the NFL with Super Bowl rings. Mm-hmm. I think there's five head coaches in the NFL with Super Bowl rings. We went through an era where 12 of the 32 teams still have not won a Super Bowl. There's four teams who've never been to a Super Bowl, including, obviously, the Jacksonville Jaguars. But you had Brady win seven, and both Mannings win a couple, and Roethlisberger win a couple, and you had Rodgers, and you had Breeze, and you had Stafford, um, and you had Russell Wilson, uh, and, and, you know, you had some really good quarterbacks. Uh, There are so many quarterbacks out there that are franchise faces and guys who are supposed to turn the entire fortune of that particular team around and it's all in doubt I mean who is the next one to win it is it Lamar Jackson it's not going to be Joe Burrow this year as we know is it going to be Brock Purdy is it going to be Jalen Hurts is it going to be Trevor Lawrence is it going to be Tua we don't know the answer to that question I mean someone's going to win it it, there used to be, would you take one who had already won it or a fresh face? And forever in this league, it was, I'll take someone who had already won it because you had Brady and the Mannings and Roethlisberger or whatever. But now I think this thing is is wide open and, and everything changes, man. When you get deep in the January football and you get the February football, everything gets a lot tighter and the pressure grows that much more. This is one of the hardest years that I can ever remember just picking games straight up, left and right. Can you imagine what it's going to be like once we get to the playoffs? When you think about coming into the year, what was all the talk, all the talk in the AFC? Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, obviously Mahomes, Josh Allen. Allen every year. Yeah, and you look and see where the dust has fallen. Burrow injured out for the year. Herbert injured out for the year. Deshaun Watson injured out for the year. Trevor Lawrence hanging on to the playoffs by a thread. If the playoffs started today, Josh Allen would not even be in the playoffs. Your playoff quarterbacks right now. Which is crazy. Buffalo may be the toughest out right now. Yeah, actually, I check that. Buffalo, based on tiebreakers, would be in as one of the wild cards. Your playoff guys, Lamar Jackson, Tua, Joe Flacco, Mahomes, Gardner Minshew, Trevor, and Josh Allen. C.J. Stroud's in the eighth spot. Kenny Pickett slash Mitch Trubisky slash Mason Rudolph in the nine spot. So, the quarterbacks, all the talk, the craze, these young generational quarterbacks in the AFC, a lot of them did not survive the year. Well, you look at that and you look at four outs, okay? You look at Joe Flacco. Oh, my God, he's 39. He can't win. Well, we've seen what he's done. Gardner Minshew, journeyman, team the team. Guys played pretty good football. He did not play well this past Sunday. Pittsburgh's just a mess. I mean, they're not going to survive. They're not going to be able to win with any one of those quarterbacks. And I, I, I want to circle a rookie. I do. I mean, C.J. Stroud, this Trevor Stroud thing may be, uh, you know, appointment viewing for the next decade plus. It also could completely fall apart on both sides. But I, I am going to put a rookie there for C.J. Stroud and say, okay, come on. I mean, that's, that's too tough. You're, you're a rookie. You've been injured. 
You're going to have to win these playoff games on the road. That doesn't add up for me. No, I don't think C.J. Stroud's year is going to be this year, but what a performance. And really, you could argue Shane Steichen and Indy and D'Amico Ryans and Houston both have great cases to be coach of the year. I mean, who would have ever thought with Indy's injury problems that they would be in the playoffs coming up on New Year's Eve? Who would have ever thought Houston would be 8-7 and seven and right in the thick of it in the playoff hunt coming up to New Year's Eve, which what complicates things for the Jaguars. Again, people thought Jacksonville – I had people on before the year, Rick, that thought by Thanksgiving Jacksonville would have this division wrapped up. Well, that's far from the case. Jacksonville has fallen. Houston and Indy have taken advantage of that. And you have a basic three-way tie with two weeks to go – and really, it's anybody's game in the AFC South. All right, two more quarterback changes will happen this weekend. Ty Taylor is going to go in over Tommy DeVito. All right, so that's going to happen for the New York Giants. And within the same division, Sam Howell has fallen into a slump. So it's going to be the return of Jacoby Brissett for the Washington Commanders. Again, the biggest report of all is coming out of Denver, where apparently Russell Wilson to the bench and Jarrett Stidham is now going to take over. That is one that we often forget. That is a Super Bowl combination of Sean Payton and Russell Wilson because they both did it in New Orleans and uh, Seattle, respectively. Uh, but obviously, Denver right now after that loss, even though Rich Eisen was, was just begging for it, he was crying. Need it. Got to have it, Denver. Denver, we got to have it. I mean, um, Denver right now up against it. And they're doing it for financial reasons. Mm -hmm. They're not benching him for poor play necessarily. There's reports out from Rappaport. The Broncos are, in fact, benching Russell Wilson for the final two games, preserving their financial flexibility for the offseason. I guess if Russell Wilson played the last two games, hit a certain snap count, he would be incentivized with more money. I wonder how that's going to be viewed. Yeah, it says here that if Wilson played, he would get $39 million guaranteed in 2024, but has an additional $37 million that would become guaranteed if he can pass a physical by early March. So, uh, again, some of these overpriced quarterbacks, and you know that kind of gets us to what the Jaguars are going to do. It's one of a plethora of decisions that they're going to have to make. The offensive and defensive line all of a sudden becomes so important for this organization, but obviously whether or not to get Trevor done in March or get him done next year, which ends up being more cost effective in the long run. I know right now that would be a totally unpopular vote. I can just feel it. Most of our listeners are like, "Uh, uh-uh, let him play year four of that rookie contract and uh, maybe put a franchise tag on Josh Allen and see if you can fill in these other parts. And I'm not reading too much into this. Tell me what your thoughts are. Press Taylor meeting the media right now. Speaking of quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence set to meet with the media in a few minutes. Now, we know last week it was C.J. Beathard that met with the media on Wednesday while Lawrence was in the protocol. Lawrence with the shoulder. Normally, if a guy is questionable or not going to play, Rick, I don't know if he meets with the media on Wednesdays. Trevor Lawrence is about to meet the media today. Yeah, I got a text. I think it was yesterday from Jaguars media that, that said that today you would hear from the Jaguars starting quarterback. Jaguar quarterback, yeah. So that that is a good sign. Obviously, last week at this time, Trevor Lawrence could not speak. It's an NFL rule. He was in the uh, concussion protocol. So he is going to go today. I, I do like the fact that Trevor's been really transparent. Trevor doesn't try to cover anything up. He didn't give you any of these 
you know, canned answers or won't say anything, you know, with back in the days of like a Mark Brunel who wouldn't say anything. Um, that's not the case. Trevor's going to tell us exactly what's going on. I'm looking forward to hearing from the coordinators. Kind of lost in, in everything that happened as we head to this break. The second half on Sunday, Tyson Campbell and Andre Sisco didn't play. The game was in doubt. We received a lot of uh, texts, and we had it ourselves. Why were you playing Travis Etienne late in the fourth quarter? Why not see what you have in Tank's big? You're not going to give up on Tank Bigsby. There's too much ego involved. Trent Bucky used a third-round pick. Mm-hmm. You're not going to give That would have been a perfect game to say, all right, does he have it? You know, you're down, you're down by four touchdowns. You're not winning that game. See what Tank has. Get get Lawrence out of there. They didn't do that until very late when it was C.J. Beathard. But on the flip side, Cisco was out and Campbell was out. Will we get anything today that'll tell us that was performance-based or was it the game was way out of hand, they're injured, we decided to sit them down. The way I took it, and again, I don't know this till we hear from them and hear from the coordinators. The way I took it was it was precautionary uh, because they were battling back from injuries. And it was the first time either guy had played in a couple of weeks. Why put them out there any longer than they needed to be? But yeah, certainly if it's more than that, that would become a big story because you have to have all your defensive guys available for what is now must-win situations over the next two weeks. I want to thank the good folks at Patriot Roofing Services. They help bring you the program each and every day, and in most cases, uh, into the night. But they specialize in all types of commercial and residential roofing and repairs. Give my buddy Mark Tizzolo a call, all right? Gutters, sun tubes, skylights, 10-year workmanship warranty, financing available, discounts for military and senior citizens. No subcontractors, therefore you're dealing with just Mark, license and insured. Here's one thing you can't let slip by you, right? If your roof needs repairs, if your roof is in need of a brand new one, all sorts of different types and models as well, commercial and residential, give Mark Tizzolo a call, 982-4052, or better yet, check him out online, Patriot Roofing Services. All right, much more on the Jaguars. Want to turn our attention as well to some college football. We will have some live sound for you coming up a little bit later on when we do hear from the coordinators and when we hear from quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Cecil Shorts is coming up in 45 minutes. We're also going to go out to Carolina and talk with Mike Kay, who covers the Carolina Panthers. All of that right here with Hacker and Bully. Just uh, wrapped up his press conference. We'll see if he actually does perform today on the practice field. My guess is it'll be limited, but only time will tell. Uh, you'll hear from Trevor coming up here in just a couple of seconds. Uh, also, we're going out to Carolina in just a little bit. Mike K will join us the latest on the Panthers. Uh, do you think there's a conversation this week kind of behind the scenes? Old friend Frank Reich filling up the head of Doug Peterson, giving him all sorts of uh, – Uh, tidbits and what have you to try to win this football game? It's an interesting point. Frank Reich wasn't exactly given a fair shake in Carolina. Would he get 11 games before he was shown the door? And it's interesting. Trevor was asked at the end of his press conference about his relationship with Bryce Young and if he had any 
uh, words of wisdom for Bryce Young because, look, Trevor's rookie year, he got annihilated. Now, Urban Meyer took a majority of that, but people were questioning Trevor just as they're questioning Bryce Young this year, two number one overall picks. And Trevor said that he told Bryce to stay the course. Yeah. Go with the good <laughs> and the bad. Uh, because certainly Trevor had to deal with that two years ago. Uh, for those who forget, Frank Reich was a big part of everything that did happen in Philadelphia uh, under the leadership of Doug Peterson. He was Philadelphia's offensive coordinator when they did go on, go ahead and win a Super Bowl. And, of course, Frank Reich uh, then moved on to become the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, did that for five years. But, yeah, what a short stint for him in Carolina. It's it, it, This was basically an Urban Meyer. He got less time than Urban. He did. Yeah. He, I think he had one less game Crazy. than Urban Meyer in Carolina. And the way, the way it ended, again, I wasn't up there. Mike Kay, we'll talk to him about it here in just a moment. Basically, people said, well, Reich wasn't happy and Carolina wasn't happy. How can you be unhappy with each other 11 games into a tenure? What a terrible hire then if it's going to end after 11 games in one NFL season. All right. We're going to hear from uh, Trevor Lawrence. <clears throat> Trevor Lawrence, we have that. Is that... Is that good to go? Uh, let's do that uh, right now. Trevor Lawrence, moments ago, asked about the shoulder and his availability for the matchup against Carolina on Sunday. Feeling decent. A little bit better today. Uh, last couple of days has been progressing pretty good, so still sore, but, yeah, it's feeling, feeling a little bit better. So there you have it. Short sweep, but that's all you need. That's encouraging if you want him under center. I'm looking at our text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. A lot of people are siding with you here. I think it's a C.J. Beathard game coming my, up on Sunday. My only point with Beathard, look, Lawrence. Own it. Lawrence Own it. gives you the better chance to win, obviously. I'm not breaking any news there. But I'm tired of this tough guy stuff. I mean, we've been talking about <laughs> knees and ankles and concussions, and Trevor hasn't gone out there and he hasn't played very yeah, well. And the reason the he hasn't played much. very well, yeah. I think, is because he's injured. He's banged up. And if you can buy him seven extra days for what may be a very important, very physical Tennessee game in Nashville – if you think you can get by Carolina, by Carolina with C.J. Beathard, I would strongly consider that because I'd much rather have Lawrence 100% going to Nashville. I would love to give him this extra week. You know how coaches think. They never sit down starting quarterbacks, college or pro. Caught a little bit more in college, but, I mean, I saw Jordan Travis take hits he didn't need to hit, particularly against Pittsburgh. And we saw it last week where Trevor took that shot. That's the, that's the part that, that really burns. He shouldn't have been in the game, and he took that shot. He shouldn't have been running for right. sure at thirty to six. Travis Etienne should not have been in the game. You should. I mean, as down as everyone is on Tank Bigsby, Sunday was the game to bring him back and see what he has. And it's frustrating because coaches will laugh at us and they'll laugh at you as fans. They they see things we don't. They understand things. We don't, but I have never been able to figure that out, why you keep a starting quarterback in, whether you're up by 30 or you're down the way the Jaguars were. And in this case, with ETN, who's fourth in the NFL in touches, man, 225 carries, yeah, he's averaging 3.6 per. That That's just, that's bad. But anyway, that's what they did. And for the most part, that's forgotten because it's Wednesday and we move ahead now to face uh, the Carolina Panthers, or the Jaguars do, I should say. As a matter of fact, let's bring in Mike K. Used to work here in the Jacksonville market. He will join us on the other side. Let's get the very latest from the Carolina Panthers. Plus, Cecil Shorts will join us today at 1.30. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. 
Back here on 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Baloo and Hacker with you. Glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Panthers, Sunday, 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's head to Charlotte, North Carolina. Our buddy Mike K, formerly right here in Jacksonville with First Coast News. You now see his work at the Charlotte Observer covering the Carolina Panthers. He's always kind enough to join us here in the city of Jacksonville. Mike, how you doing? I'm well. Well, I mean, it's good to hear that you guys are doing well. I, I listened through what I thought was like 15 minutes of commercials. <laughs> hey, we got to, Mike, we got to pay hackers salary. We got bills <laughs> to pay, Mike. There is no question. Yeah, clearly. I mean, wow. I was like, all right, there you go. Good for them. Uh, Mike, uh, what do you make of what you saw last week um, out of Carolina? I know it's been a uh, an interesting year up and down, but, you know, at least offensively, it felt like it was a much better week for them as they did host Carolina. Or, excuse me, as they hosted Green Bay. Well, they played Green Bay, who was uh, given about quite a bit of yardage and touchdowns to opposing quarterbacks this year. Um, I, look, I think the light's starting to come on for Bryce Young. I know it's taken longer than a lot of people in Carolina would have wanted or appreciated, but um, he had a game-winning drive against the Falcons, uh, his second of the year, and then turned that into a brilliant performance, especially in the second half against Green Bay. I think he needed that 300-yard game. Before that, he hadn't thrown over 250 yards in a game. He hadn't thrown a touchdown in a month. Like, it was time. And he looked as, control- as in control of the offense he has all year. Uh, I call him Bama Bryce when he's doing well. He looked like Bama Bryce. And I, I think he's kind of on a positive momentum trajectory right now. Mike Kay, Charlotte Observer. Mike, you're, nor- you're used to covering bad football teams from your time here in Jacksonville. Certainly Carolina, 2-13. and 13. It hasn't been a lot of fun for the fan base up there. What happened with Frank Reich? I mean, he got less time than Urban Meyer got here in Jacksonville. I mean, what a disaster of a hire. Well, I think they're – you can't put it all on one person. I know we like to do that, but you can't really. I mean, I think, you know, he wanted to come in with an open mind, get work with some people that he'd never worked with before, which is not uncommon in the league. Uh, Doug Peterson went through that in Philadelphia. And um, it just kind of didn't work. Like, it, it just didn't work. I mean, they tried to mash concepts from Indy with concepts from the Rams with the offensive coordinator Thomas Brown. The talent level was not great here either that he inherited. There was just a lot of, like, it almost felt like they were snake-bitten. Every decision they made in the offseason, outside of maybe signing Adam Thielen and drafting uh, Bryce Young, uh, basically failed. Um, It's been been a rough go. And I think, you know, unfortunately, he was the scapegoat in that. I don't think he should have been fired mid-season. But when you trade up, when you trade up, for a quarterback like they did, you know, it didn't seem like things were getting better. They were only getting worse. And I think that's what the owner decided to pull the plug. Yeah, obviously the great relationship with Doug Peterson and Frank Reich. Uh, Got to believe that those two will be in contact this week. In your opinion, how much will that help Jacksonville, that conversation? I don't know. I mean, I, I saw how this offense performed with him in charge of it. So I, I think, I mean, look. I think if Doug's doing his research and he's talking to Frank, I think he wants to know what makes Bryce tick, and maybe that helps in a way. Uh, he knows what he likes and what he doesn't like. He knows the strengths and weaknesses of the offensive line, and I think that might help. But I, I think 
when you look at this big picture, the offense is doing a lot of things they didn't really do with Frank. They're using a lot more pre-snap motion. They're using a lot more end around. They're running more under center. They're, you know, doing QB sneaks for one. So there's like a lot going on that Frank really was not adamant on doing on. Final moments, Mike K, Charlotte Observer, Carolina, Jacksonville on Sunday at 1 o'clock. Mike, we see C.J. Stroud in Houston. To a lesser extent, Will Levis in Tennessee. We got a small glimpse of Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis. Bryce Young was taken before all of those guys and certainly hasn't performed clearly to the level of, say, a C.J. Stroud. I mean, how much pressure is on Bryce Young up in Carolina to match what C.J. Stroud has been doing in Houston? I mean, I think there that plays into how you would evaluate Frank Wright. Scott Fitter, I don't think the pressure is necessarily on him. I mean, they know this is a sunk season. They know that they need to get the most out of him that they can. Frankly, their whole messaging of, hey, it's time to win the division. We can compete was really far-fetched when you looked at the roster. I mean, they reshaped their entire defense. This is a rookie quarterback. They signed a lot of like mid-level talent to be around him. Really, next year was their year to contend. So the season was really all about figuring out what Bryce Young is. And I think if he can close out the home stretch really, really well, the pressure really isn't on him beyond, hey, he's got to impress the next head coach, and the next head coach will likely be hired based on how he feels about Bryce, which alleviates pressure there. Mike, last question for you. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be. We just heard from Trevor Lawrence. He did speak, so I guess that's a good sign. We'll see if he does go out there and practice. Uh, today, but I look at the numbers. Carolina giving up 120 yards plus on the ground. I, I realize those numbers can be skewed a little bit if teams have a lead. They're going to run in the second half to, to you know to tick away the clock. Uh, but the eye test. I mean, Jacksonville can't run. What, what, what do you feel about that matchup? Jacksonville's really bad rushing attack against Carolina's rushing defense. Well, the rushing defense was pretty much. The worst, if not, I mean, it was one of the worst, if not the worst, rushing defense in the league the first six weeks of the season. They went on by and fixed things up, using guys more at four technique than five technique up front. Uh, Todd Wash, you guys remember from Jacksonville, was a D-line coach. It seemed like they got everything fixed. And then Green Bay came here, and Aaron Jones ran all over them. So, I mean, there will be opportunities for the Jaguars. I'm curious to see if Cam Robinson plays on Sunday. That will factor into it. I think Derek Brown is the guy you have to be aware of when you're when you're on the field uh, from an offensive perspective. He's been their best player. He's putting up linebacker numbers from a tackling standpoint and from a tackles for loss standpoint. Um, he leads all interior defensive linemen with stops. Uh, is having a career year all the way around, pretty much except for sacks. So he'll be the guy that they lean on heavily to stop the run. Uh, Shy Tuttle, who they got from New Orleans, done a pretty good job as a nose tackle. Nick Thurman's the guy who's kind of come out of nowhere and played pretty well. So I, I think they'll bounce back against Jacksonville. That said, there will be opportunities. Mike, final question. Uh, Carolina's a place where a lot of former Jaguars have gone. DJ Chark, we saw him have a good game last week. Uh, the Jaguars also drafted LaVisca Chenault in round two, C.J. Henderson in round one. All of them are in Carolina. It's been like a Jaguar reunion up there. How have those guys been performing? Well, LaVisca Chenault and I are. They kind of used him more as a running back than a wide receiver under Frank Wright, and then he got injured. Uh, Chark had had kind of an underwhelming season until he had that game-winning drive 
catch out of bounds, an incredible catch against Atlanta, and then he really turned on the Jets in the second half against Green Bay. He looked back to form. He's been dealing with some injuries. And then C.J. Henderson was a healthy scratch last week after pretty much being their 2B starter at cornerback throughout the year. So as the train passes by, um, it's been kind of underwhelming for that trio. Yeah, we kind of got a lot of that here in Jacksonville from those three guys as well. Mike, safe travels down here, man. Enjoy the game on Sunday, and let's hope we have a good one between Jacksonville and Carolina. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Hope your families are all well. Mike Kay of the Charlotte Observer. Yeah, DJ Chark had a nice game last week, as he pointed out. Um, Chenault's been on the shelf uh, for a few weeks. And, you know, I thought CJ had, I thought the situation with CJ, thought he was kind of getting it. Uh, a year ago and that he was going to survive it and move on. But you just heard him say a healthy scratch last week. So that is certainly anything but good news. All right. When we come back, speaking of former Jaguars, Cecil Shorts joins us. Everything that is the Jaguars on the other side. Then we're going to get to a little bit of college football. There's a lot happening. And that includes Miami playing tomorrow, Florida State, and Georgia playing on Saturday. Cecil Shorts, then some college football. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Blue and Hacker with you. Noon to 3, 1010XL, 92.5 FM this week, closing out 2023. The Jaguars trying to close out their home regular season finale with a victory only two wins at everbank stadium this year as the two and 13 carolina panthers come marching in on sunday for those hacker after dark listeners every week you get former jaguar cecil shorts and he's kind enough to join us here in the afternoon on 1010 xl cecil how you doing my friend i'm great brother had a good christmas how about you guys cecil we're very good man thank you for the time i i hope your christmas was very good, certainly better than that Christmas Eve performance. You and I exchanged pleasantries during the Tampa game. Cecil, I'll give you the floor. Being a former Jaguar, you were uh, not impressed by your former team's performance. Four losses in a row. Uh, it was it was disgusting to see. Um, two teams that were battling for playoff positioning, uh, Jacksonville and Tampa Bay. I just assumed it was going to be a good game. I assumed Jacksonville was going to come to play. Um, they normally play decently on the road and just thinking they will be able to bounce back from um, the buck kicking they took from the week before. So I'm like, okay, cool. We'll go out there. We'll play. The Jazz will play well. And it was the complete opposite. Um, very frustrating because they look lost. They look confused. They look like they kind of, I wouldn't say giving up. They just don't know what to do out there. And um, to continue to have, now I'll be, I'm, I'm just going to say it. Trevor's not playing good. And if he's not healthy and not playing good, maybe he shouldn't play. I, I just don't know. I don't. I don't know how else to put it because you cannot turn the ball over three plus times um, or three times and expect to win the football game. At one point in time, it was what twenty-seven zero or it was something way out of hand early in the game. And it's frustrating to see because the team has showed us they started eight and three. They showed us potential, 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 and then uh, it just kind of has fallen apart and all the wheels have come off right now. So I think Doug Peterson has to really look in the mirror and figure out what does he need to do to get the best out of his guys right now. Um, and I'm, I'm just not sure if – I'm going to say it again. If, if a healthy uh, a healthy Trevor Lawrence, absolutely, playing well. Um, but if he's not healthy and he's not and he continues to be banged up, 
I don't know if he's the best guy to be out there. You know, since the last month has been unbelievable as far as the miscommunication. And, and I'm thinking around here where there have been bad coaches and bad teams, but still we haven't seen anything the way it's been. Going back to, you know, a rookie, Parker Washington, not run the right route, which led to the ankle injury with Lawrence. And then there's questions about uh, route running and Cincinnati's motion offense, fooled young defensive backs. It's just been a week-to-week process where – and Trevor said it. It looks like they're not even practicing. Can can you put your finger on why that has happened? So much miscommunication with this team. In my opinion, it's too much in. It's too much in this late in the season. If guys are still uh, not understanding the assignment, not understanding the checks, the hand signals, it's two things. Number one, they are not preparing as they should, uh, or number two, it's just too much of them to handle. And I think as a coach, you have to learn your team, right? What's best for your team, put them in situations to succeed. And if they can't handle different signs, different uh, – I mean, they may come to the line scrimmage with two plays or a check here and there, you can't put them in that situation. Or those particular players cannot be put in that situation. And it's tough sometimes because Trevor can take hold of the offense and, and make the checks and make the reads he needs to make. Or on defense, it's simply communicating to each other like, hey – if they're getting this formation or this motion happens, let's make sure we're checking the cover four, checking the cover two. But if they can't handle that, you have to be able to see that as a coach and say, hey, we can't do that no more. We've yeah. got to stay in our base coverage or we're going to have to simply just keep the offenses simple for those particular guys that are struggling with it. Now, for the most part, these are young players. These are rookies, uh, maybe some second-year defensive backs. We always hear about hitting that rookie wall. Is there a mental part of this? I mean, are they not paying attention in meetings is that maybe I mean it's always the physical side that we hear when you hit that rookie wall could could they not be a hundred percent involved on the practice field as to what is going on or in the classroom you know what I think it's about learning I, I true I truly do it's about learning how to be a professional about learning how to be a pro and then the guys in the room the Christian Kirks the Calvin Ridley's um the Zay Jones teaching the other guys how to study being that example maybe even hosting hosting parties at their or Thursday night parties at their house, not parties, but, you know, just, hey, let's come over and watch the game. We'll get some wings or something, and then let's talk about the plays for a little bit before the game starts. Hey, remember our checks this week? Hey, there's three there's three checks this week. Because I'm going to be honest with you, a game plan, I talked about this with Hack the other day, a, a week-to-week game plan is so much easier than a training camp playbook. Like a week-to-week plan is basically jumbled down into uh, – and I say pages, six, seven, eight pages of what uh, you have to do. But as a professional, you should know exactly what's going on. You should know exactly the plays that you're doing. You should know exactly the checks. Um, and it's frustrating. You, you, and you can see it in Trevor. Like, it's frustrating. Like, he's, he said in the interview, it seems like we're not even practicing. And they go through it in practice. But they have to be intentional about studying and make sure they know all the simple details because that's what separates a good offense from a great offense, a good offense from a, a decent offense. All the details, the minute details in that play. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Cecil, we hear about the quicksand effect, right? One thing goes wrong and then another and then another, and as much as you try to fight it and to stall it, it just keeps going bad. And to me, look, you played seven years in the league, four of which right here in Jacksonville. You're the guy to ask. But I'm watching that game on Sunday, and it's almost as if here we go again. Like the body language just left the Jaguar sideline 
after those first two interceptions. I mean, is that a real thing? Is it, oh my gosh, it's happening again and there's nothing we can do to stop this negative momentum? It's a real thing, but it's something they have to make a decision. Like, we're not going to treat it this way, if that makes sense. It's something they have to make a decision to say, hey, we're the only thing, us as a team is the only thing that can fix this. It's not going to be all of a sudden the vibes of the stadium needs to change. No, you have to go out there and make the plays, make the decision, change your mindset, change your body language to be able to perform at a higher level. Um, because things are going to go bad, and things have been bad. Four losses in a row, and then, like you said, it kind of piled up on them against Tampa Bay, one thing after another after another. And I would never say Doug lost his team, but right now they're just in a in a rut right now where it's hard for them to get out. Yeah. Um, so for them to be the best they could be, they really got to focus up and focus on the small things they can do against. And, and they should win this week versus struggling, struggling, struggling Bryce Young and a struggling Carolina. It's like a perfect game to kind of regain some of that confidence back, getting ready to make your run for the playoffs. And that was my next question. Can a win over Carolina restore whatever swag, I guess, for lack of better terminology, the Jaguars had, say, two months ago? Yes, it can. Um, it, it can build confidence in different players and certain in certain areas on the on the on the team, um, will it com- will it completely um, will it completely give the whole everybody confidence? I'm not sure because this is going to be a game where, in every schedule, if you're a coach or a player, when the schedule comes out, there's going to be certain games you circle like a Monday night game or a Thursday night game. We're playing the Ravens this week, or we got 49. Like there's certain games you're excited for. Then there's certain games the season goes on. It's like ah, uh, they're not going to be good. And this type of game is like, hey, they're not going to be that good, but it's important because you're still fighting for your battle to win the AFC South. <laughs> like, you're still fighting to get into the playoffs. So it can be a game where they really build confidence and hopefully can give us some momentum going to the next game. Yeah, and that's really disturbing to a lot of our listeners. I mean, great Jaguar fans, they were so hyped for Monday night and so hyped for Sunday night, and they came out and just just laid down. I mean, it's just a terrible performance. Both games here at home where they're only 2-5. and five. Uh, in Jacksonville. My final question for you, Cecil, uh, you know, as a wide receiver, you look at your offensive lineman, and that continues to be the biggest problem in Duval. This is a really bad offensive line. They, they do not protect for Trevor Lawrence, and they're now one of the worst rushing teams in the NFL. Can you move forward and be successful if you can't run the ball? I don't think so. I, I, I truly don't. Um, I think you at least have to have a formidable running game. Um, the last two weeks, three maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks, Trevor Lawrence has been your leading rusher with like 40 yards, 30 yards here and there. Um, and you have a guy that's special, in my opinion, in the backfield. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's scheme or this guy's not blocking well up front or him or, or Travis missing the hole, it just has not been doing a good job. They have not been doing a good job being able to run the football. And then, of course, when you're down – uh, by that much against Tampa Bay, you have to be able to throw it down the field to catch up, right? But um, it's it's something that is a staple in the league, in my opinion, to be able to run the football. Um, kind of sets the tone for the game. Um, when you're up and you need to get a five minute five minutes to go, six minutes to go, you need a, a physical first down. You can run the clock out. It's just something you have to be able to do is run the football. Running back is extremely important, especially even though you know the the nobody wants to pay a running back a lot of money. It's extremely important to have that type of run game, whether it's by committee or a single or a single guy. Um, so it's going to be hard to win and make a deep playoff run without a solid running game. 
Cecil, final one for me. Former Jaguar, also a former Houston Texan. You do a lot of work for that organization. They have to feel pretty good. I mean, they laid an egg. Amari Cooper might as well have been Jerry Rice last week, but the loss really didn't change a lot for Houston. I would imagine if they get a healthy C.J. Stroud back, they have to think two wins, and they're likely to win the AFC South at this point. They're excited. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. They think they're in prime position. Um, they they won without C.J. Stroud against Tennessee two weeks ago, kept a minute. Last week it was a debacle, but you didn't have your quarterback. You missed uh, your leading sack guy in Jonathan Gennard, 12 and a half sacks. He left early. Um, you don't have Tank. You didn't have certain guys out there. So many injuries kind of piled up on them. But a lot of those guys will be back this week. And with Indianapolis losing, with Jacksonville losing, they feel like they're still in the hunt. If they win out, they control their own destiny, they feel like, right? Um, that just gives them, it, gives them a, it gives them a shot at least. So if they win this week and then beat the Colts Indian, in, in Indianapolis, they probably will get the, I'm assuming, the seventh seed, depending on what Jacksonville does. Um, but, yeah, they're, 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 they're sitting high right now because CJ's back in practice. <laughs> and I was telling people, listen, a year ago, uh, the battle, you know, they're talking about, oh, is it a quarterback? Uh, what's going on with the quarterback for the backup? Like, that's not even a big deal. Whether it's Case or Davis Mills, whoever you want to put at number two, go ahead and do it. The real question is, is CJ coming back? And it just makes you more appreciative of having a really good quarterback. Because a year ago, Davis was your guy, or Case would have been your guy. I mean, no offense to those guys, but, you know, CJ is a special, special dude. So Houston's excited about this, up, this upcoming opportunity against Tennessee. Um, they should be able to pull that win out, and it'll be a tough one against Indianapolis. My buddy Cecil Short spent four years in a Jaguar uniform. You get him every week on Hacker After Dark. Cecil, appreciate you, man. Happy New Year to you and your family, and we'll talk again next week, bud. Hey, sounds good. Appreciate you, brother. There you go, Cecil Shorts. Uh, you know, you look at Travis Etienne, 136 yards on 26 carries against Buffalo. Obviously, that was in London. That's it. He's had one 100-yard game. Uh, the month of December, uh, this is amazing, okay? Um, actually, let's go to the day after uh, Thanksgiving at Houston. 20 carries, 56 yards, mm. 2.8. 11 for 45 against Cincinnati in a Monday night. That's 4.1. At Cleveland, 14 carries, 35 yards, 2.5 a tote. All right, Baltimore, 10 carries, 31 yards, 3.1. And last week, 6 carries, 12 yards. An average of two. It is horrendous. And we're going to sit here and talk about Trevor Lawrence. We're going to sit here. We're going to talk about Press Taylor. It's simple, people. If you can't run, you can't win. And I hate I hate to be the I told you so guy. I hate those guys. They're the worst guys. You know, oh, I told you this. I told you that. They're awful human beings. I told you that. Okay? <laughs> I told you that. I mean, they're... they're Evan Neal, Icky, forget about Trayvon Walker. There are a lot of our listeners right now who are convinced that the only reason why Anton Harrison is on this football team is because Cam Robinson got popped for four games, and they would have gone in a different direction. It's not going to end well for the Jaguars this year. I think they win this weekend. I think they got a real good chance to win the wild card weekend and, and, and probably lose out in the road. Uh, during the divisional round. I think most Jaguar fans right now would take that. But I'm here to tell anyone who's willing to listen, until they fix this offensive line, you can waste all your time complaining about other things. You have 
to fix this offensive line. It's terrible. It's soft. They're finesse, and you can't run with them, and they can't pass block for you. It's arguably the worst offensive line in the National Football League. Oh, I I think they're definitely in the conversation. And again, we talked, you know, during training camp, they had the 31st-ranked O-line shirts made up because when it was like PFF or somebody had them ranked 31st. Boy, that went over well. Yeah, they were using that as motivation. Well, it turns out that PFF was right. I mean, the offensive line is awful, and they have been awful a majority of the year, which that kind of goes back to what we talked about yesterday in regards to Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne, you want to talk about if Doug Peterson has lost the locker room or if the coach's message isn't getting out. Etienne would be so easy for him to just be spitting mad right when a microphone's put in his face. I'm getting hit every time I touch the ball. I can't do anything. There's three D linemen in the backfield. They're not giving me the ball enough. I mean, he has plenty of room to gripe about what's going on. Yeah, you have not heard a peep out of Travis Etienne about his awful offensive line or about the lack of touches he's now getting in this Jaguar offense. That's why, to me, Rick, that and that alone shows me that the coach's message has to be getting through somewhat and that the coaches have not lost the locker room. Yeah, he he's too good of a guy. That's not his personality, uh, knowing you know Travis not well, but from the time that we are afforded to spend with him in the locker room, he, he's not that type. But um, I think he's missed. I, I think there have been times where there's been some open lanes. There's also been times where there's been absolutely nothing there. I mean, nothing – at all. And, you know, I don't care if you're O.J. Simpson or you're Jim Brown or you're Fred Taylor or whoever you are. You're not finding open lanes with this um, with this offensive line. It's going to be a really interesting year. Phil Rauscher was thought of as one of the brilliant young offensive line coaches in the NFL. He had one year as a head coach. Uh, excuse me. He had one, one year as a, officially an offensive line coach. He was an assistant. And this was a complete rebuild. Remember, Peterson brought in a first-time offensive coordinator, a first-time defensive coordinator, a first-time special teams coordinator, also brought in an incredibly young offensive line coach. You would think that these things would begin to mold and better themselves. A month ago, it was happening in a lot of these areas, particularly with the defense. It's totally gone awry here in this last month, and all of a sudden – if they do bow out and they do lose and they don't make the playoffs, I think a lot of these jobs are in question. Now, no, you're right about that. And look, they've had plenty of issues on the left side of that line, which is 40%. All right. So I'm not going to go and say they've they, had eight guys there combined left yeah, tackle, left guard, lot, eight players. But when you go center, right guard, right tackle, correct me if I'm wrong, Fortner, Sheriff, Harrison Played have not year. missed a start. Cole Van Landen's had a little bit of playing time at the right tackle. Cup of coffee because Harrison got banged up. But those three, Harrison, Sheriff, Fortner, have not missed a start. Correct. Did they simply just miss on Fortner and Sheriff coming into the year? Sheriff's hurt, and he's 32, and he's gone. He's got a minimum of two games left, a maximum of, well, if they win every playoff game and go to the Super Bowl. He's gone. Fortner was a colossal miss. I could rush the passer. On Luke Fortner. He, it's nothing personal. He's a nice kid. He's also got here as a 24-year-old grown man. He took advantage of COVID. He got here at the age of 24. He's now 25. 
He's made every start. He's just not a good football player. Mm -hmm. Ben Barch wasn't a good football player. Uh, Luke Jokel wasn't a good football player. Offensive linemen that they've drafted. Sometimes I think that people believe maybe you can hide a center. You know, I don't believe that. Not when you run the ball. You need your left guard, your center, and your right guard to be among the best in the NFL. I was never a huge Brandon Linder fan because I I always thought that he was so well-regarded in the building, but it was very surly with the media. You know, I'd I'd do an interview with Brandon Linder. I'd ask him 50 questions, and the the interview would last 90 seconds. Oh, he was a one-word guy? You know, it was just kind of like, come on, you're supposed to be the team leader. Give us a little bit. And, And that's not the only reason. I just thought that he was a very overrated player. You know, it's like, oh, the Jaguar fans don't necessarily care all that much about Brandon Linder, but the building loves him. Bro, Brandon Linder to Luke Fortner? I mean, this is like Mike Webster stuff. This is like, you know, arguably the greatest center of all time. Mm-hmm. Dwight Stevenson stuff, if you were the difference between Linder and Fortner. My philosophy on offensive linemen, I let the footwork and the hand placement, Baselli and Leon seriously can do that. Far and away better than I can. I don't even try to do that because that's not my uh, expertise. My expertise is this. If I don't notice you, it means you're probably doing your job. And when do you notice offensive linemen? When they're committing penalties or they're getting beat for sacks. Well, in, in Luke Fortner's case, he's probably not committing that many penalties, honestly. And I'm not sure how many times he's getting beat for sacks. But when he's three yards in the backfield, when ETN gets the ball which means he's getting physically whipped by the opposing defensive tackle and pushed back into his running back, that's a problem. I don't know if he's a good football player or not. I just don't think he has the strength to play center in the National Football League. We start in August at the Miller Electric Center. Remember Volhasek? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought it was Mean Joe Green. <laughs> okay, and, and again, I mean, if you were to poll members of the media who were there watching every day, one of the top, I thought the best defensive player in the month of August was Devon Hamilton. He was an absolute beast before the injury. Probably because he was going up against Luke <laughs> Fortner every day. <laughs> he was blowing him away. So, you know, again, this isn't personal. It, you, you people want to win. It, it, you've got you've to accept reality. This is a botched, this is a botched draft pick. It's a miss. And we're trying to disguise it. You know, it, it, it stinks, and you can sterilize it, and you can, um, you know, try to neutralize it and disinfect it. It stinks. What do you do with it moving forward? You, you say goodbye to him. I mean, he's still under a rookie contract, so you make him a backup. Do you contemplate okay. guard at all? Maybe he's just not a center. Maybe he's a guard. I don't know. I mean, it's a third-round pick. That's under contract. He's relatively cheap. And so he's, he's cheap. So you keep him on your roster as a swing guy. You have to get a new center. And if that's the case, and I'm not saying you're wrong, they're going to have to get a new right guard. Because like you said, Sheriff's probably gone. Probably a new center. If you let Cam go to save all that money, are you okay with Walker Little being your left tackle? I mean, you could argue. I think you made this. I mentioned this yesterday. Other than Anton Harrison, because Ezra Cleveland's a free agent too. Other than Harrison, potentially. You could have three or even four new starting offensive linemen next year. Yeah, because if and Cam Robinson apparently is going to practice today. Okay, so Cam could be back on Sunday. That's great. That's great for right now. That's great for Carolina. Win that game, get to the playoffs. But you're going to go in the next year, see what all that uncertainty would walk a little. You're, you're not going to know. I'm always looking ahead because 
this this team isn't winning the Super Bowl. No. I've been saying it all year, and people don't want to hear it. I mean, again, we went across the hall here to our social media office. We had my esteemed colleagues who I love. I love them all. 16 and 1, 15 and 2. Would you pick them? I had them 12 and 5. I had them 10 and 7, and I was asked to leave. <laughs> yeah. The best yeah. they can do now is 10 and 7. And yeah. again, I hate that, hey, I was right guy. I can't stand him. But I am going to, and I've already been doing it for two plus years. You talk about turning up the volume. Those who listen to Into the Night, 6 to 8, each and every night, and you come on after me at 8, I am going to stress offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. I know it's going. What are they going to do with Josh Allen? What are they going to do with Calvin Ridley? What are they going to do with their defensive backfield? What are they going to do with – no. To me, offensive line, offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. If you do not fix this offensive line, the Jaguars are going to continue to play in quicksand, well, as to, they have been. And to that point, you go out and spend $20 million on T. Higgins, and you can spend this money and that money, and you can bring everybody in here. If you don't have an offensive line that can block, it's being proven right now. It doesn't matter how good Trevor Lawrence is. doesn't matter how good ETN is. doesn't matter how good any of the wide receivers are. It all starts up front. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia with subpar skill position guys. He had a nasty defense, and he had one of the best offensive lines in pro football. The same Doug Peterson now has a lot of really good skill position guys. He's got the worst offensive line in the NFL, and the Jaguars are on a four-game losing streak. When we come back, some from you, we've been teasing it all day. We need to get to some college football. Yeah, agreed. We have to. So let's do that. Your thoughts, 641-1010 on the text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. RJ Saunders producing the program today. Hacker Nation is with you. My name is Rick Ballou. We're with you today till 3. By request from the Truth Tower, I'm feeling it. Tulane and Vatek. This is what the college football bowl season is all about. Ah. Sorry, Snoop. Now, let's talk some college football. Coming up in a little bit, by the way, North Carolina, West Virginia, of course. Many have opted out of that game, including May, who I sat down with in. Uh, Charlotte at the Atlantic Coast Conference. I mean, very impressed with him. Uh, Louisville, USC. Ditto. Caleb Williams could be the first. They could end up being one and two. Williams and May uh, selected in next year's draft. Uh, not going to play. And then uh, late night, you get Texas A&M, Oklahoma State. So four games on this Wednesday. Uh, Hacker and Blue with you tomorrow as well. Beginning at noon, uh, noon to two tomorrow. Noon correct? to two because of the Jaguar programming. Okay, noon to two tomorrow, then back noon to three on Friday. Next week we'll shift back to our regular times. I'm with you each and every night, six to eight. Hacker comes on at eight. Okay, my brother and I were having this conversation during Florida State, Florida. Believe it or not, we were level-headed. Okay, my thinking was. Florida State's not going to win college football playoff games without Jordan Travis. Doesn't mean they didn't deserve to get there, but I was just being realistic about it. I was thinking, okay, it would be kind of cool if they got Tulane in the bowl game and they could go to 14 and zero. No, instead their prize was Georgia, where they were immediately told they were a 15-point underdog 
That's now up to 16 and a half points. For those of you who are not aware, let me go through this real quickly. Jordan Travis obviously out with the injury. Tate Rodemaker decides two days ago to opt out, which is terrible. It's selfish. It's asinine. Uh, why would you wait this late to do it? Uh, my belief is someone told him, you're going to put up some awful tape here against Georgia, and it's going to hurt your value going to another school. Still, I looked at him as a legend, two in a lifetime, beat Florida. Uh, unfortunately, he showed his ass by opting out. A.J. Duffy, another quarterback, opted out. Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, wide receivers, opted out. Running back Trey Benson, opted out. Lawrence Toa Feely, season-ending surgery. Rodney Hill, third back, opted out. He's going to FAMU. C.J. Campbell, opted out. Uh, NFL tight end Jaheim Bell, opted out. Their blocking tight end, uh, Marquiston Douglas, opted out. Already assigned with Arizona State. Offensive lineman, a bunch of backup. One guy who played, Bless Harris, he's already transferred to TCU. Out, Jared Verse, probably the first Jaguar, or excuse me, the first NFL player selected off the edge. Out, Fabian Lovett, out. Uh, other backups, out. Linebacker DJ Lundy, out. Starting nickel, Jerry and Jones, out. Starting quarter, uh, corner, Renardo Green, out. Starting safety, Akeem Dent, out. You got guys opting out, Hacker, that may not get invited to the combine. You have guys opting out that, at best, may be a seventh-round compensatory pick. What is going on in Tallahassee to have this type of extreme? I understand Verse and Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, but some of the names on this list, what's going on over there? Yeah, and Florida State is to the extreme level. Now, I had Bill Bender of the Sporting News on my show a couple of weeks ago. We brought up the transfer portal going on during bowl season. And he brought up a great analogy that I've been using. He said it is – well, first off, he said it's basically asinine. The transfer portal is open right now. It would be like NFL free agency beginning on wild card weekend in the playoffs. That is a good point by Bill. I mean, you got 20 guys for all these bowl teams that aren't even there anymore because they're in the transfer portal. It's ridiculous. The college blame the early blame early signing day for that early signing. And that's the only reason why you can't do it. You, you you can't bring in these guys until you know if these other guys are out. It's early signing. It's transfer portal. It's everything jam packed into December into bowl season, which cripples these bowls. And the college football playoff has obliterated these bowls. I mean, let's call it what it is. You use the term now, meaningless bowl game, or this game doesn't yeah. mean anything because it's not in the playoff. And I think the college football higher ups knew this was going to be the sentiment. They went with it because people were screaming for a playoff. And you think it's bad now? Wait till next year. Wait till 12 teams are in the playoff. The bowls are watered down even more. And I imagine bowl games next year will be borderline unwatchable. I I think they are this year. I am a diehard college football fan, Rick. Obviously, you are as well. Truthfully, there have been about 15 bowl games, 20 bowl games that have been played so far. How many have you watched? The only people who watch these games are degenerate gamblers yeah. or if it's your alma mater or school that you love. I mean, I, I've tried to get up for some of these games. Jacksonville State, Louisiana, Appalachian State, Miami, New Mexico State, Fresno State, UCLA, boys. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. And these stadiums are empty. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, they make money I know, with TV and whatnot, but I'm watching one bowl game. I forget who was playing. There couldn't have been 10,000 people in that stadium. The Canes play tomorrow. It's in the Bronx. Yeah. 
A lot it, of Miami fans are making that trip, I'm yeah, sure. I, I'm sure there's some Miami fans in New York City, but uh, yeah, again, it's, you know, maybe the best bowl game I watched, I watched just a tiny bit of it, was Georgia Tech-UCF. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Okay. That's a bad loss for UCF, too, by the it, way. It was, because they were up big in that. They up 14 nothing, yeah, or 14-3. Georgia or, Tech stormed back and beat them. Um, so the bowl system is broken, and I know we have a game here Friday, what, Kentucky and Clemson. Which That's is one of the never, better ones. Yeah, it actually is a pretty good game, but... You know, we everything's about change, but again, there, there's there's no leadership in college football, and we're seeing these staggering results. These games are meaningless. I think the best way to look at this, and I I found myself saying it right after it happened, even going into championship weekend. Okay, you had Georgia, you had Alabama, you had Florida State, Louisville. If I was to say to you on that Sunday, Georgia's playing Florida State, who in their right mind would have thought it would be in a meaningless Orange Bowl and it, that game would not be played as one of the semifinals uh, in the college football playoff? It, it is just absolutely insane to think about it that way. I'm really concerned about what's going on with FSU. And I know a lot of people are burying Mike Norvell and say he's losing his team. I don't believe that. It, it, it almost feels like there's a little bit of, like, player collusion here, for a lack of a better term. These players love Mike Norvell. And Mike Norvell loves his players. But obviously, the majority of them got together and said, screw this. We're not going to practice. We're not going to play. The college football playoff selection committee did what they wanted to us, so we're going to respond by doing this. It, it just really creates an awful cloud right now over Tallahassee. Even though Mike Norvell did lose a couple of five stars who flipped on signing day and it ended up being his best recruiting class in, in his young career at FSU, you cannot think of a worse month that Mike Norvell has had in December on the heels of knocking off Florida and winning the Atlantic Coast Con- Conference Championship game. Everything that possibly could have gone wrong at Florida State has gone wrong. And I, I think that's going to be hard to uncover. I, I think there's going to be this, this cloud in Tallahassee that is, feel sorry for me. Feel sorry for us. And you see these kids opting out. I actually hope there's more, not necessarily for the game, but more who do decide to leave, even if it's after uh, the February signing period or whatever it may be. If if you have those type of kids under your program who are still walking around as if, feel sorry for me, that is the worst thing that can happen to this program. Florida State has to take on an us-against-the-world type of uh, presence. And if you have those guys in your locker room and in your school, that's only going to hurt them that much more. Well, two thoughts. Number one, it's interesting that Georgia has taken basically the exact opposite approach about this Orange Bowl. They've had a couple of guys in the portal. I know Brock Bowers, I don't believe, is going to play on Saturday. But by and large, it's going to be the Georgia Bulldogs in the Orange Bowl. They have not had a lot of attrition. They have not had a lot of guys opting out of this football game. Georgia is taking this very seriously. And look, Florida State is the team that got screwed by the committee. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Georgia had a little bit of a case Back-to-back national champions loses a neutral site game by three points for their only loss, and that drops them from one to six 
in the final rankings. So they're probably very upset as well, yet they're going to stay the course and play in the Orange Bowl. And obviously Georgia is likely going to bludgeon Florida State on Saturday. I haven't bet in over 10 years. I, I may put everything on the dogs. Yeah, like I don't blame you with all the uh, with all the issues Florida State's had with people leaving. Another thought on Mike Norvell. You mentioned the dark cloud surrounding mm-hmm. Tallahassee. Mike Norvell, outside of Lane Kiffin, you could argue Lane Kiffin. Mike Norvell, to me, was the king of the transfer portal for the last couple of years with Jared Verse and oh, Keon yeah. Coleman and Jermaine Johnson and Johnny Wilson. Just go on down the line. He's the best. They have done less than nothing in the transfer portal I know. right now. I know. Less than nothing. And to me, that would cause me concern because how has Florida State's butter been bre- bread been buttered over the last three years? It hasn't been on the high school recruiting trail. No. It's been in the transfer portal. And you they can't rely on the, those freshmen. Right. They have gotten the best players imaginable out of the portal. That has not happened, at least to this point. Yes. Which would concern me if I'm a Seminole fan. Um, they've gotten better under Mike Norvell. That, that's something that you need to look at as well if, if you are in the transfer portal. A lot of these guys were NFL ready to begin with. They've gotten better. There hasn't been – I mean, Braden Fisk clearly got better. Jared Verse, the numbers didn't support it this year. He got better. Benson got better. Uh, you know, Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson both get all the hype. They both need to learn how to catch the football. Those guys have massive drops about every game. Oh, I think Keon be- Coleman's going to be a stud, yeah, though, but, in but the NFL. There are times he goes away. There are times he doesn't block. Yeah, I, I remember the game against BC when when he they, they somehow ran a stupid play to him on, like, third and two, and he should have cut it up for the first down. He didn't like to get hit. He took it out of bounds. And the very next play on fourth down, he didn't – he got a a, a a ridiculous holding call. I thought it was selfish. Listen, I'm, I'm a Coleman guy, too. I watched him beat Miami. I watched him directly beat Clemson. Um, but there are some holes there. I, I do believe that. Florida State needs to bring in 7 to 10 transfer portal guys who are either starters or serious contributors. And the portal's about to close, right? And they've got a couple of days left. I think it closed at the beginning of the year because you have to be enrolled for January classes. Now, it'll open again in the spring, but most of your work in the portal is done right now. Florida's only got four guys. I'm not saying Florida's done a great job either. Well, Florida State's got one. Yeah, one. And then, by the way, we'll get to Florida. Gator fans are still spitting mad over the Trevor Etienne situation to leave Florida and go to Georgia. That's a... That's a transfer portal issue that we certainly need to, to talk about. All right, let's come back and do that because we're up against the break. Something else I want to throw your way, though, just for our listeners. You want to comment on Florida State? We'll also get to Florida. I was shocked when Travis Etienne put on Twitter, maybe my younger brother should hit the transfer portal. I always thought this was an NFL town. The way that social media reacted to Travis mm-hmm. Etienne, I was like, damn, but is, that, is Jacksonville on campus? Is Florida on campus? Here? But it was clear when Travis Etienne did that, and that was about a month and a half, two months ago, it was clear that that might have been already in the works. Yeah. Because why are you going to put that on social media and then it comes to fruition eight weeks later? Obviously, Trevor, to me, has been thinking about this for a while. And of all places to go to, you go to Georgia. Oh, that's a gut punch. Gator fans have a big problem with that. But but I thought it was fascinating that that most who listen, most who responded had to have been a combination 
Jaguar Gator fan, and they basically told Travis Etienne to hit the bricks. Uh, anyway, let's come back and talk about that. If you want to join the conversation, 641-1010. That is the text line. It's brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Uh, make that Virginia Tech, excuse me, lining up for a field goal. This is what it's all about. This is why you take off early from work. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Blue. Ah, now 7-3. That's good. 7-3 Tulane up over Vodtech. 5-33 to go. First quarter. We have four games on top today. Tomorrow the Canes play. Now, will you root for Virginia Tech and Miami? Because it just uh, means more for you because they're ACC. No. But, uh, no. That doesn't apply to the Atlantic Coast Conference for no. you guys anymore? I for anyone really trying to get out of that conference right now? For anyone who's ever listened to me, they know that I'm always SEC first. I am a Florida State graduate and a Florida State fan, but I am absolutely SEC first. When when I when I look at future schedules or future weeks, I find myself looking around LSU and Auburn and Tennessee and 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 I don't go sniffing around Wake Forest in, in North Carolina State. There, there's zero tradition in the Atlantic Coast Conference. They have terrible leadership under Commissioner uh, Jim Phillips. I, I'm actually proud of what Florida State did last week. I was shocked that they did file and that they moved forward the way that they did. So we'll see what ends up happening. All right, so what's going on now with Trevor Etienne? I know he's out. But my goodness, man, going cross town to Georgia, that's brutal. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, Trevor Etienne obviously was not happy with his role in the Gator offense and the fact that they had lost a lot of games. He had been pretty vocal about that through his friends, and I think some of his family members had even said uh, calling him RB2 because he's obviously sharing carries with Montreal Johnson. Montreal Johnson has given no indication that he's going to leave Florida for the portal or enter the draft. So it looks like he's going to be back next year with Billy Napier. So it's going to be the same thing. Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne. Obviously, Etienne wanted to go to greener pastures elsewhere. He enters the portal. Now, obviously, with the portal, things like this will happen from time to time. But to me, Rick, this is the first one I can ever remember that's this big with a name player going to an arch rival. Yeah. Jermaine Burton left Georgia to go to Alabama. Some people brought that one up to me. That was kind of a big one, and he had big roles. How about roles. Gooch? Ven- I love Vinez. Vinez Gooch, is he the only guy that played at both Florida and Florida State? You know, there was a guy that I – and I interviewed him and his, law- and, and, uh, uh, his lawyer. His last name was Owens. And he was a lineman. This was back when I was in Tallahassee before I came over here. I'm guessing it might have been 1995. He was trying to get on at Florida State, but Florida prevented it. I think you're right. I think that's the the only player that I can think of who played for both schools. And that was before the portal even started. He had to sit out a year to come to Florida. Venez Gooch did. Uh, Rick Tootin kicked for Miami and Florida State. Yeah. But, yeah, I can't think of one would. Four to four to stay. But with Trevor Etienne, to go to Georgia, and I've heard from a lot of Gator fans on social media, my inner circle, if you will, family and friends, I mean, the term Judas has been brought Ooh. up. You know, if it's one thing if you transfer to Louisville or to Ohio State even, or if you transfer to Southern Cal, the fact that Trevor Etienne could have gone wherever he wanted and he chose to go to the Georgia Bulldogs – 
that's to me not as bad as Florida State, but it's certainly in the ballpark. And Gator fans are spitting mad over it. Yeah, and and they should be, but I, I, I think the message has been sent and it's it's so hard to accept that that heroes for the most part are are gone. Or you can count them you can count them on one hand. And this is why I always feel really bad for fans. Look at our Jaguar fans. Here they are celebrating a Christmas holiday. You know, they get up on Monday. It's Christmas. Tuesday, they go back to work. It's, it's awful. Things They've lost four in a row. Um, and you want to be like, get over it, okay? And I say get over it because the players are over it. The players, were, players got back late on Christmas Eve. They enjoyed Christmas. The, the players, again, it's almost like, um, it's almost like Cinemax out at midfield after a game. These guys are grabbing one another, sticking tongues in ears. Oh, it's so good to see you. They're all, and by the time they get to the locker room, they're over it, where your week is ruined. Well, this now applies to college football, and it's why you should always root for the jersey and the front part of it, not the names on the back. Because a guy like Travis Etienne does not care what you think, does not care what Gator fans think. And we have so much angst towards this and hatred Remember these kids. Look at the guy who flipped from Florida State to uh, Bolden, to Georgia, on signing day. He's got the hats there. Yeah. He's, he's gone to Florida State. He's gone to Florida. He's gone to Georgia. He's getting ready to pick where he wants to go to school. You can't expect that guy to hate the other school the way that you do as a fan. The They're mess- never going to be that way. The messed up thing about K.J. Bolden, though, and, I, and this is coming from a non-Florida State point of view, he visited Tallahassee three days before signing day, talked about how great it was here, he can't wait to enroll. There's no reason to say that to Florida State what media. What if he got an extra hundred grand out of the well, deal? Well, maybe that's the case. But he said he had chosen Georgia three weeks prior. And I got you. So he's lying to Florida State media. Of course There's he lied. no reason to take it to that level. All you these people lie. Right, they do. and that, But that's why I think fans have such a problem with it. Now You people, can't trust anyone. Politics, uh, local or, or national. Sports, they lie every day. Now, what if Bolden knew this was the plan all along, that, that he knew this two-time defending national champion is going to not allow this in-state kid to leave, I'm going to play the Florida State trump card the entire way, and then we'll get back to Georgia right before signing day. Maybe they increase that offer by hundred grand. Maybe they increase it by two hundred and fifty grand. It's, it's, it's great marketing by him. You have people on the text line right now designed by Lifetime Enclosures. The 343 is one of them. Oh, Florida literally has had three Georgia Bulldogs in the last five years. Hold on one second. Don't tell me you're comparing Jalen Kember and Brenton Cox, who basically did nothing in Athens, by the way. Brenton Cox left Athens because he couldn't get on the field. Trevor Etienne, you could argue, was Florida's best player on offense. Certainly one of them. So don't give me that Florida had Jalen Kember, so Gator fans shouldn't be upset that Trevor Etienne goes to Georgia. Another thing with ETN, I think you brought it up earlier, if his name was Trevor Smith or Trevor Johnson, even with the same stats, I don't think it would have stung as much. I agree. It's a PR thing, too. Trevor ETN, because of his brother, because of NIL and how they are on social media and how popular they are, it was a double whammy. You lose a good player, but you also lose the optics of a guy with that resume off the field 
transferring to your arch rival? I, I got here in 96, and that was a rematch between Florida State and Florida. It was also the year that the Jaguars advanced to the AFC Championship game. And I, I remember then in, in year two, I was like, wow, this is an NFL city. Most of my show is, is on the NFL. Gators have been playing football well over 100 years. The Jags have only been playing since 95. I saw those comments on Twitter a few months ago by uh, Trevor, uh, by Tra- uh, Travis, Travis Etienne, the, the member of the Jags, about his brother. And the response, frankly, shocked me. I was like, you know what? You could say what you want, that this is an NFL town. And you could say what you want, that the Gators still control this town. The response on his timeline was frightening. There were people literally telling ETN to get the hell out of here. They no longer wanted him to be a Jaguar because they told his younger brother he may consider actually entering the transfer portal. To me, that was really disturbing. I know you can look at the sample size and say, well, that's only a small portion of, uh, of fans. And, okay, that's fine. But they were responding to ETN. So I, w- I was very disappointed by that. But I, but I think it sends the message. And, you know, for little boys like your son and little girls growing up, I, I, when I grew up, I had heroes. You know, I love teens, but I had heroes. Jim Rice, Fred Lynn, Carl Ustremski, Bobby Orr. You know, I, it's hard to have heroes. May- maybe a Jordan Travis because he's stuck there for five years. By the way, he was a transfer mm-hmm. from Louisville. It's tough to, it's tough to find a Tebow. These days, it, it, it's tough to find a guy. You know, maybe Georgia can do it with Carson Beck, but these kids, and you can't blame them. If they're not playing, they're going to leave. If they get a better offer, they're going to leave. But playing for and loving the individual player is almost gone in football. It's all about the team and the team only. Look at the last couple of Heisman winners Baker Mayfield, Jaden Daniels, Caleb Williams, Kyler Murray. All of these guys were transfers. Mm-hmm. Every one of them. College football has become now free agency, right? You go to the highest bidder yep. with an IL. If you don't like it, if if a coach says something wrong to you or if you're not playing a certain number of snaps, you can say, well, I'm out of here whenever you want because of the transfer portal. What we've known college football to be forever will never be the same I again. I hate it. I hate it. The best part of being a college football fan, in my opinion, was the offseason knowing your 85-man roster, knowing your seniors, knowing guys that were going to graduate, knowing that there might have been a possibility that you may lose a junior or two early to the NFL draft. It was knowing all 85 guys, where they came from, freshmen, red shirt, the whole pro- – I remember when I started covering these Bowden teams – he bring in 25 guys, two, maybe three true freshmen would play. Never offensive linemen. Even a guy like Walter Jones, who they got out of junior college, they redshirted him. Mm-hmm. Came back and played 12 games, came top 10 pick. That's how crazy things were. But for fans, you knew it. You knew where they were from. You, you had it all. And, and, and now it's just so hard where these guys just and, – and I don't blame them. It's their livelihood. It's an opportunity for them to make money. But again, for the fans, it's a totally different world. Here we are talking about Norville. Norville could strike gold here and go out and get seven transfer portal players in the next week, all of which could be starters for the 2024 team. Now, let me ask you this. I think the transfer portal has killed college basketball, at least for me. There was a time where I could turn on a Kentucky-Tennessee basketball game on Super Tuesday 
and I would know five or six of the guys, even right. though I am a Gator supporter. Right. I don't have a clue who's right. on Kentucky or Tennessee's roster. And in fact, it takes me a couple of weeks to figure out Florida's roster. Their right. entire roster right now, outside of Kugel and Richard, are all transfer guys. You don't know any of them. College basketball, to me, if you're not an ultra diehard, has come crashing down because of the portal. Do you fear that the similar thing could happen to college football? No, because football is is so dominant. College football is still number two. College basketball in a lot of circles is is a fringe sport until we get to March Madness. Nothing has been affected more than college basketball. It, it, it's just a bad quality of play. Guys can't inbound the basketball. They can't make free throws. They can't make passes. Well, they don't it's, work together. They they're, don't. They're, they're there for nine months together Well, as it, transfer portal guys, and they're off to another school. You'd have the run by Winthrop. You'd have the run back in the day with Gonzaga. You'd have the run by these schools, and why did you get them? Because they were four, you know, they were fifth-year seniors and fourth-year juniors who had worked together for so long. And you know, when I got into this business hack, okay, Tim Duncan played all four years at Wake Forest. Mm -hmm. Watched him come in. I, I watched Rasheed Wallace and Jerry Stackhouse come in for years, and then they were replaced by uh, Antoine uh, Antoine Jameson and Vince Carter. I watched when. Maryland was in the ACC. I, he was the first pick in the draft. I watched Joe Smith Joe and that Smith. Maryland team come in. Yep. I watched Christian Leitner and Grant Hill and Thomas Hill and that New Jersey gym rat Bobby Hurley come in as juniors and seniors. Arizona with Miles Simon and Richard ah. Jefferson and all those guys. I, I remember it was a non-conference game. Connecticut came in with Ray, Ray Allen, who was, I, I think, a sophomore. These kids came back and played. Yeah. And, and again, I get it. They're getting paid. Take the money. But my point is, it was better basketball. Mm -hmm. It was a better brand. It's like, you know, it's like, um, you know, the Rolling Stones just put out an album. I actually like their new single, Angry. But you can't compare it to Let It Bleed, right? You can't compare it to Some Girls. It's not classic Rolling Stones. It's not classic uh, U2 back in the 80s or, or into the early 90s. It's, it's it, you know, it's like a pinup supermodel when she's 20. Now you're asking that pinup supermodel, you know, to, to come out and pose, and she's 70. That's the way college basketball is. The product stinks, and there's no continuity. It's a hard game to coach. It's a hard game to play. If you're not with each other all the time, it's going to be street ball, and that's what we're seeing. And it's hard to get into it because I remember – you know, the Gator teams back in the day, when they would get eliminated, I remember when Creighton beat them the one year and Udonis Haslam, who gave his heart and soul to Florida, gets knocked out of the tournament. You felt awful for him because you knew what the University of Florida right. meant right. to Udonis Haslam. When Florida gets eliminated this year, I'm not sure you're going to be as uh, unhappy as for Walter Clayton. And nothing against Walter Clayton. The guy's been there for six months. You don't, uh, you don't have a connection with these players like you did back in the day when it comes to college basketball, which affects the product because, again, no cohesiveness. Those teams that you mentioned mm -hmm. were together two, three, four years yeah. even. These guys are together seven months and they move on to another school. College football, I agree with you. Football is king and it won't get to that point. But I got to tell you, man, there was a long time, you know, five years ago, I could watch Tennessee and, and Auburn and I knew a lot of those guys. Right. 
It's getting to the point now where you don't know as many of them because it's a former UAB guy, and that's the Auburn tight end or a former La Tech tackle that transferred into Tennessee, and it doesn't have the same relationship that it used to. As the late Bert Trigger once said, they're not even a household name in their own home, and that's the way things are nowadays in the great world of collegiate athletics. All right, when we come back, final thoughts on this one, plus a prize. Stay tuned for that. Now, the two-minute drill, brought to you by Tire Outlet. Keeping the sports world spinning with wholesale prices and premium service. Tire Outlet, Jacksonville's largest locally owned automotive repair shop. All right, we are wrapping things up, but don't go anywhere. 1010XL Prime Time is come. My goodness, you're looking smooth. Uh, you know, I try. I try. What's going on today, well, you know, Here's the thing. I've, I've got a cigar event right up to the show, so I just figured I'd get dressed right now. i get right to it. We're, you know, I may join you. I, I'm bored. I, 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 don't, I, got, I, I need things to do. Well, listen, I got no up. friends. I got no one to go with. Is there going to well, be some good people over there? Absolutely. Come to the watering hole. Okay. And that'll be uh, today at 6 o'clock Six. once you get off the air. Absolutely. Leon brought me a uh, big search for I Christmas. Yeah. That thing is going to get annihilated on Saturday. Well, initially it was supposed to be a, uh, supposed to be a victory cigar. But, yeah. You know, I turned it into a Christmas game. Victory it, cigar turned into <laughs> anything but after that it, performance it'll in It'll take you a day and a half to smoke. Uh, about two decades ago, Hacker and I went out partying one night. <laughs> Did if you? you can imagine that. Well, Hacker. <laughs> and, and we got after it and really got after it. And, and it included smoking some cigars. Uh, some cigars. I think that was back when you were producing. Yeah, that was a long show. time. It was back when I was running and ripping in Jacksonville so, Beach. The next day, Hacker says to me, he says, man, I got a hangover from that cigar. Really? I'm like, a hangover? Could have had anything to do with the 17 shots of Jaeger uh, bonds. Yeah. You can't get a hangover from you a cigar. Can't. Unless you inhale. Oh, well, here's the thing. All right. Now, I think, I think enough time has passed where I can say this. Uh, it might have been my first uh, Cuban cigar that I ever had. This was like 20 years ago, mind you. There was a knockoff. They weren't Cuban. But go ahead. Okay. Well, yeah. whatever it was, it was strong. It was <laughs> okay, a little too right. strong well, for a 23-year-old hacker to uh, to take. Let me get your expertise. I, I think Cubans, it's a little bit overrated. I don't think they're necessarily that much stronger. Mm-hmm. They're just illegal here, so they kind of yeah. get that rep. Yeah. Am I right or wrong That's here? You're absolutely right. You have to be careful because there's a lot of people that claim they're Cuban and put the wrapper on them and they sell them to you. If you're real Cuban, it's probably in Cuba. You've killed my story, Leon. Oh, well, I'm just trying to be 17 honest. years hey, in the well, making. Well, I'm a cigar aficionado. I don't want to mislead you in any way. All right. What's coming up today? Uh, well, Jags, we're going to have our top five, you know, and our low five. You know, we're going to talk Jags. And uh, we're going to see, can the Jaguars win a game? Can they win a game? Are they playoff bound or are they going to be home uh, watching on the couch? We're going to have you on tomorrow. Let me ask you real quick. we got 30 seconds. Are they going to win a game on Sunday? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, right now, I, I think the Jaguars are the worst-seeded team in the playoffs right now, mm. in my opinion. Mm. So they're showing me better. Leon Searcy and company coming up right now. We call it 1010XL Primetime. Now, today's takeaways brought to you by Key Buick GMC, where our family dealership has been helping families buy vehicles for over 50 years. All right, my love affair continues with Key. Uh, my GMC Sierra is something that I've loved for the last six years. And it is simply outstanding. The GF as well, totally in love with her Buick Enclave from Key. So, take advantage. You got today, you got tomorrow, you got Friday, uh, you got Saturday. A few days left in 2023. Get everything that's on the lot. 2023s, 2024s over at Key, right across the street from Tinseltown, Southside and Gate. Yeah, I think a couple of the big takeaways today, Rick. Trevor Lawrence on the practice field, not in 
pads, not in uniform, just out there observing. Cam Robinson's 21-day window did open. If you look at it in a hole, right, Trevor and Christian Kirk, Zay Jones potentially, those are three major ones. But by and large, the defense, pretty healthy going into New Year's Eve. There's a lot of your guys. Cam Robinson's coming back. You will get Zay Jones back at some point. I think all things considering, the Jaguars are about as healthy now as they have been in quite some time. Yeah, and, you know, this is a game where they're a better team. They're better really in every phase. And, uh, you know, that rushing defense that, that Carolina has really bad early on. They found a way to turn that around. And, again, when you win two games, you would expect those rushing defensive numbers to be inflated a little bit because, obviously, teams that they have faced – have leads, therefore they're forced to run the ball and do run the ball in the second half, so that can always move the numbers. But And I just wonder, is this the week that Jacksonville, whether it's Lawrence or Beathard, can they do anything when it comes to running the football? They have been absolutely terrible as of late. Thank you to Mike Kay. Thank you to Leon Searcy. Thank you to uh, Cecil Shorts, right? Yeah, Cecil Shorts is with me every week. Mike Kay says, well, we'll have Leon Searcy tomorrow here. How do folks get a hold of you now that the show is over? Yeah, at Ryan Green, 1010XL, at Ryan Green, 1010XL. Yeah, I don't check the text line. Brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Now that the show is over, so get me at Baloo1010XL on Twitter. Thank you to our producer, R.J. Saunders. For Hacker Nation, I'm Rick Baloo. Join us tomorrow, beginning at high noon, right here on your home of the Jags.